My name is Jeff Lerner, and I interview elite performers from a wide range of disciplines, entrepreneurs, athletes, celebrities, scientists, artists, and more. This is Unlock Your Potential. Hey there, Jeff Lerner. Welcome to another episode of Unlock Your Potential. Always so thrilled to be back with you, having amazing conversations with amazing human beings. Today, we are joined by Matt Zeman. He is a psychedelic medicine advocate, best-selling author. Uh, quick story short, quick story short, long story short. I don't know what quick story short is. Uh, in 2019, Matt had an opportunity to experience a guided psilocybin, which is a fancy name for magic mushrooms journey, completely changed his worldview. Uh, he went from there from someone who had never taken any drugs previously, um, other than maybe the occasional, you know, marijuana inhalation, uh, to a real deep dive, psilocybin, ayahuasca, ketamine, LSD, MDMA, DMT, and other chemical monikers that I can't even pronounce, and ultimately culminated in the publication of Psychedelics for Everyone, uh, which... I want to make sure I say that right. Uh, the the subtext is a beginner's guide to these powerful medicines for anxiety, depression, addiction, PTSD, and expanding consciousness. It became a bestseller in 19 different categories. And Matt, I am excited to have this conversation. Welcome to Unlock Your Potential. Jeff, I am excited to be here. Um, So yeah, I guess there's so many places to start. And I mean, this is... I, I actually, I'm curious, I've seen, uh, you know, I know like, like Michael Pollan's stuff with the, mm -hmm. the doc, I know there's a documentary about it. Like, where do you, my, my question is really like, how big an issue is this in the world right now? And I'm asking because I think I have a biased lens because I do so much work in like human potential and trauma release. So I actually like, it's super top of mind for me, but where do you think this is at in the world conversation right now? I think it's super top of mind. I think we have over 300 academic institutions studying psychedelics. We're coming out of a 50-year prohibition against the, these types of molecules. And I don't know, I mean, when you, when, when you ask somebody, what is the most important thing that ever happened to you in your life? They say, my parents died, I got married, I had a child, um, or I took a psychedelic. And the fact that a little bit of this type of medicine can be so life transforming is kind of incredible. And then I, and I, so I, I love that there's research and there's a, the medical model. And I love that there's a religious freedom model and a decriminalization model. And all of these things are happening simultaneously right now. It's an exciting time to be alive. Yeah. I, I have uh, a number of, like I said, I experienced this conversation in a number of, from a number of different channels that support what you're saying that like this is something that is really a buzz right now um and you know clearly that's that's why someone invited you to come on this show like people are talking about this um it's it's uh it's wonderful to have you here to have this conversation i'm like so excited this conversation is happening in the world right now i in general i feel like there's a an enlightening happening in the world that is well, maybe a few thousand years overdue, or at least a couple <laughs> centuries here in this country. Um, okay, so, but first, if you would take us back, 2019. Who were you? Who who are you? But who were you? And what you know? What was life like prior to this experience? Like, what brought you to that that point? And I mean, I feel like there's a whole story here to set this up. Jeff, I think I was a lot like the people who listen to this show. I was an entrepreneur. I had built a, a bunch of businesses. I was running a business. 
And um, some friends approached me and said they hired this guy to, to do a guided magic mushroom journey. Do I want to come? I was like, nah, I don't think so. I, I'm, I like things the way I like things. I don't think I need it. And they said, no, you you do. You want to do this. You have it. You, you'd love to learn. This is a chance to really learn about yourself. You love to travel. This is like a big trip in your head. Come do this. And in that first six hours, it completely changed the way I look and view the world. Um, I realized how scared I was of dying. I realized that I had, I reconnected with my mom. She died when I was 22. Uh, she was 49. And I reconnected her in that very first journey. Um, I had insight into insight um, after insight over, I'm not living, I'm, I'm not feeling safe and loved in my everyday life because I could feel safe and loved in that, in that journey. And um, I knew I wanted more of that. And I knew I wanted to understand more. And I ended up getting someone else to run my business went back to school to get this master's in psychology and neuroscience and really understand the the science behind some of this. And then probably as importantly, more importantly, I went and tried a whole bunch of different psychedelics from a bunch of different sources and came up with some additional opinions that, uh, that I'm happy to share. Okay. So, uh, full disclosure, I'm I'm not saying I'm you, but like I connect with that 2019 version of Matt because the only two, well, I'll give you my psychedelic backstory. And then like, <laughs> we can, we can use this as a, as a starting point, let's say for mm -hmm. the combo. So like I've, I've smoked some cannabis at times in my life. I did LSD. What I thought was two times, although I'm pretty convinced it was only one time. And the other time it was just gummy candy with nothing in it <laughs> that, that somebody overcharged me for, uh, when I was a teenager. Um, and then as an adult, I have had experiences with psilocybin. Mm -hmm. So that's where I'm at. And like, to be honest, I've sort of, you know, teenage LSD experience notwithstanding, I've sort of said, okay, cannabis and psilocybin, like I'm totally down with these because they are like, I, I sort of believe, you know, without, without pretending to, to, to deeply understand that at some level, the fact that they are of this earth created by nature, created by whatever created nature as am I a natural being, there's probably some alignment there. And I've heard various theories on why why it is that these substances are so positive for us. Uh, but then you get into like all the stuff that sounds more like chemistry. And then I picture guys tinkering in labs, making cocktails to hijack humanity and turn us all into robots or whatever. And it's like, okay, so so I th that was just to set up my level of, of knowledge and also my much greater level of ignorance, right? Um, so I'm so so yeah. I mean, why don't if you would take me from that place into these other substances and and I mean maybe like whatever you have to share about them. Have you cataloged them? Have you do you have you analyzed the differences between them? Like how do we how does the person listening to this sort of practically take this information and go, okay, cool, what's in this for me and, and where do I start given what's now a cornucopia of options? So Jeff, let me ask you one more question first, though. When you say you've had some psilocybin experiences or mushroom experiences here as an adult, were they large dose? Were they microdose? What kind of psilocybin experiences are we talking about? Uh, I've tried both. So okay. I've tried like the little, you know, a dab a day mm -hmm. does you well, and then I've <laughs> and then I've I've macrodosed, um, yeah, to go into those, you know, you sort of block off. I mean, it's going to be six hours. Like, mm -hmm. don't you know, don't don't have a dentist appointment for that afternoon or whatever, right? And um, yeah, so I've tried both. Okay, perfect. And um, I, th I think where I'd love to take this is is just is the why. 
like why why did you do a six hour journey? I mean, you you have so much going on. You have you have your school. You have your podcast. You have your speaking things. You chose to take six, seven, eight hours out of your life and do this look, do this magic mushroom natural journey. What were you looking for? Um, yeah, I think I mean again, kind of like yourself, it had been presented to me by people that I respected Trust. and I knew mm -hmm. I knew um, you know wouldn't do anything to contravene my best interests, not intentionally, anyways. Uh, as this opportunity to learn a lot about oneself, deepen one's spirituality, see the world a different way. The term sacred geometry was mm -hmm. mentioned where you can start to see the sort of the structural complexities and beauty of the world. Like, you know, just kind of a, hey, if if you want to not dip your toe in, but basically if you want to in, you know, partake of the world of psychedelics, this is a sort of a one of the path, I don't know, the lower hanging pieces of fruit you can start with is is these magic mushrooms. And I've gone no deeper than that. I think that's totally a fair, fair, fair place, uh, fair assessment. That's it's it's mm -hmm. a uh, there there are other harder psychedelics to 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 try, yeah. but mushrooms and, are, are an easy starting point. And, and let me say this: I mean, in my world of like entrepreneurial and like the convergence of high performance entrepreneurs with like thought leader influencers, this is like everybody. This is like a big all the rage right now, mm -hmm. you know. And so I I had some environmental support of like not like not like peer pressure but more like for people like you this is a reasonably well documented and discussed prescriptive opportunity for growth and development without a doubt and it's been used for thousands of years i mean there's there's cave paintings somewhere between four and nine thousand years old of, of mushroom shaman in in africa there's mm -hmm. there is shaman mushrooms grow in every continent except Antarctica. There is mushroom sh uh, there's shaman up in Siberia. There were witches burned all throughout Europe for psychedelic practices, and certainly we have a long history in uh, North America, Central America, and South America of, of these types of practices. So typically, communities don't keep doing things that hurt people, and we have a long history of this nature being used. I mean, the Greeks one more thing used used a psychedelic ceremony for over two thousand years. And people like Aristotle and Plato and Marcus Aurelius, a lot of the uh, um, philosophers of that generation, all went through that experience. Um, and again, from a arm perspective, cultures don't do that for that long. Right. If it's particularly dangerous. Is that the uh, the Eleusis? I it think is. the Eleusis mysteries. Okay. Yeah. 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 But okay. then there's a whole theory that maybe that mystery yeah. was taken and brought into early Christianity. It's super mm -hmm. interesting. But let's stick. Let's stick here. So. So how do these things work? Let's stick with mushrooms, brush strokes. What happens? Why is why can we take a take a a few grams, four or five grams of mushrooms and have this type of experience? What happens in our brain when we do this? So we know that it it quiets down what's called our default mode network. So for it's that inner narrator. It's the narrator. It's like, you've got to work harder. You have to do more. You're not enough. You, you're not worthy. That voice in our head that's constantly talking to us, it quiets that down. And for many of us, we're not used to that. We're not used to, oh, that's what happens when that's quiet. It then starts to fire neurons that might not have fired together since we were a kid. Um, there's a beautiful brain uh, brain imaging that shows kind of a, a, a normal brain and then one on psilocybin. It's just all lit up. 
Um, and that means we're now making connections that haven't been made in a long time. And what happens as we get older, we get into repetitive thinking patterns. And those repetitive thinking patterns end up materializing or manifesting in behaviors. This is how I think. This is how I act. And we take a psilocybin experience, and all of a sudden, those rules no longer apply. It's not how you think. I can think this way. I can think that way. And that's incredibly freeing. And I, and I think for thought leadership, for as we think about past events, um, yeah, so it's very liberating. They then remove kind of the notions of shame, blame, and guilt. And that's super important as we look back at things that have happened to us and uh, that we have done. And we can look at our role in those activities with a new lens. And that can be incredibly healing. Um, it opens up a, a state of neuroplasticity. So if we're trying to do a behavioral change, I want to reduce my drinking. I want to stop smoking. I want to exercise more. Um, yeah, your your brain is in a place to receive those messages and to start making those habits happen. And then finally, it, for many people, it, it's there's some type of spiritual connection. Whatever your higher power is, you can feel it. Not Not be told it, you can feel it. And you can feel connected to each other. We can feel like, uh, oh, we all are brothers and sisters. I literally understand what that means. Um, and you actually talked earlier about being part of nature. Yeah, that I am not separate and apart from the trees and the earth. I am part of nature and I'm just a continuation of it. You bring all of that together for six, seven hours and it can be incredibly life-changing for, for, for people. Yeah, I would, I would. I would align with everything you just said based on personal experience and obviously based on, you know, talking to a number of other people who've frankly delved, delved much further into this world than mm. me. So can you maybe take us through like your, your sequencing of like, okay, mm -hmm. you went from psilocybin to what, to what, to what, to what, was there any rhyme or reason to what next? And yeah, it ultimately sort of, where has it led you? Uh, I don't, I don't want to say as a conclusion that might be overly reductive, but as a, as a, maybe a new perspective. Yeah, I mean, I went from, again, really no drugs to psilocybin. I believe the next, I did a few psilocybins, and then I went to ayahuasca. Mm -hmm. um, and ayahuasca, for those who aren't familiar, it, it's more physical. Um, you typically purge uh, or throw up during that process. Um, you also typically take it three nights in a row or three nights out of five. I did three nights in a row, and I'd never done anything like that before. Um and again, I was like, wow, this isn't, and, and then also it's delivered, to, it can be multiple ways, but I did it through a Colombian Taita and had a, just a very different experience than the times I had I'd experienced psilocybin. And I thought this was, this is incredibly profound, beautiful uh, medicine. I, I remember on ayahuasca when um, I kept lining up kind of what am I going to do next in life and what are my values and my purpose? And when I could get them all kind of aligned, like these alien people were cheers, like, yes, that's what you should do. Yeah. Or I could look around and, and I could see people. And I knew that if I asked them for help, they would help me because um, they knew. And it was just kind of like, okay, I'm not alone in this world. There are people who are, who are going to help me. The world is beautiful. And I just need to act in accordance with my, my values and my principles and things are going to be okay. So from ayahuasca, I went to, um, I got curious about the medical model and I got curious about ketamine. And I wanted to understand, okay, well, here's a molecule that, that takes 40 minutes to an hour. What's this like? And I went and experienced that delivered from, a, from two different doctors and tried a, um, a shot version, a sublingual version, 
And I thought, okay, this is beautiful medicine. I can see why people um, find this healing and why this is a, a, a powerful journey. For me, it wasn't as powerful as psilocybin or ayahuasca, but for many people, they it's not an option. Ketamine is their option. So beautiful. And, and ket ketamine is more sort of indicated to, specifically toward depression, right? Ketamine is legal in all 50 states. It's prescribed off-label um, primarily for depression and anxiety, but it can be used for OCD. It can be used for eating disorders. It can be used for substance use challenges. Um, it could be used for suicidal ideation. There's lots of uses for ketamine. Um, it's one of the few medicines we have that if someone is actively suicidal, they can give them a shot of ketamine and it can kind of knock the suicidal ideation off of them, mm. which is really powerful. Um, and for people who want to be met in a medical model, for people who say, I want a diagnosis, I want to talk to a doctor, I want to have a prescription from a pharmacy, it's a great solution. It's the only solution that you can get that way now. Um, MDMA and psilocybin should be coming shortly, but ketamine is the only one legal across the states. Okay. Uh, and yeah, keep us going. Uh, talk about MDMA. I mean, M MDMA has just finished their phase three clinical trial. So it's well on the way of, of drug development. The FDA gave it breakthrough therapy designation. This is a uh, an intactogen, a heart opener type of psychedelic. Um, when you take an MDMA or MDA, uh, otherwise known as sassafras, they're, they're very similar molecules, you feel a lot of love for yourself. You feel a lot of love for others. It also removes that shame, blame, and guilt. So it's really powerful in therapy. It was used for couples therapy for years. Um, when a couple takes this, you can look at the other person and say, oh, I love you. And when you do this, it makes me feel this. And instead of our normal defensive reaction, you can just absorb it. And say, oh, I didn't, I didn't know. I didn't understand. I do. I don't want to hurt you. I do want to love you, and I won't do that anymore. It's really powerful in therapy. Um, the the phase three clinical trials are finished, and the results are incredible. They took people with treatment resistant post traumatic stress disorder. So think about veterans, first responders, victims of sexual assault, where nothing has worked. They've tried it, all the medications and all the talk therapies. Nothing's worked. So this is a really challenging group to work with. They gave them three sessions of MDMA and some talk therapy before and after, and 67% no longer qualified as having PTSD. 88% had a clinically significant improvement in symptoms. I mean, the results are staggering. So we fully expect that MDMA will be re-legalized here in America at the beginning of next year. And that's just that's just incredible. Feels feels really good to see that happening. Um, I know we've talked about psilocybin already, but just just the research on psilocybin for things like depression, anxiety, eating disorders is, is also tremendous. Johns Hopkins is working with terminal patients who have depression because it's end of, end of life. They've got a terminal prognosis and giving them um, psilocybin doesn't change the fact that they're going to die, but it changes the way they're going to live the uh, this last chapter and interact with their family and the type of experience they're going to have. And again, the results are tremendous. The FDA gave that breakthrough therapy designation. And certainly in a couple of years, we should have psilocybin re-legalized across the states. Um, and then we're seeing states like Colorado and Oregon legalizing, um, creating a medical framework and decriminalizing it for other purposes. And California might do the same thing here. It's on the, it's on the governor's desk right now. So we will see. Um, those all led to DMT and 5-MeO-DMT, or otherwise known as BUFO. It's the uh, 
the natural is the there's the venom from the Buffo alvarius toad. Um, and then there's a synthetic version of that. And that is our only non-duality medicine. So uh, this is the one where Michael Pollan talked about as a ro- rocket ship in his book. Um, you take this, you inhale it, and count to about 10. And you're in another universe for 10 to 20 minutes. Um, unlike other psychedelics, where there's still kind of a subject and an object, you're still kind of thinking your way through it. Mem- me- there's still a you, you, a you in there. Mm-hmm. In this medicine, you're gone. There's no you, there's no place, there's no time, there's just the universe. And um, it's not visual, it's uh, it's somatic. You just feel it. You feel incredibly safe, you feel incredibly loved, you feel connected, and yet you also know that you're not you, you're something else. And um, yeah, I found that medicine to just be incredibly beautiful. Trying to think here. Of course, there's okay. LSD along the way. Yeah, let me. They, there's a bunch of different medicines in this process. Yeah, actually, can you can you can you speak about LSD? I've I actually had the list from from prep for the show, and LSD is mm. the only one you haven't specifically touched on. So I'd love to hear about that. Yeah, LSD in some ways is very similar to, to psilocybin, but it's a little bit longer. And for lack of a better word, I find it more metallic or more technical. There just is a different feel to it. With psilocybin, I feel so grounded on the earth. And with LSD, I feel a little bit charged up, but it's still six to eight, maybe a little bit more hours of visuals. Um, You know, I had this beautiful experience um, with LSD where my son had actually come to a psychedelic uh, retreat. He didn't want to do any psychedelics, but he wanted to to see what I was up to and to support. And... um, at one moment, I kind of woke up in my journey and he was standing in front of me and I was just able to give him this big hug and I could feel like my DNA and his DNA just connecting and pulsing through our hearts that were connected. And um, and I had this moment where I was able to tell him, I was like, nobody gives you a manual for being a parent. Uh, my parents both died when I was young and I just want you to know I'm doing the best that I know how to do and I love you so very much and that uh, I'm proud of you and I don't care what you do, I care who you are, and um, and you have to know that that's that's it. I just I love you so much. And then we held each other for a little bit longer, and then he went on to go help other people on his journey, and I went on in mine. But uh, I think LSD is a is a beautiful medicine. A lot of people love microdosing LSD. Um, it's another one of the big microdosing uh, options. But I think on large dose, it's it's beautiful, just just different. And I think I guess people get. Dr- People get um, wrapped around like, which psychedelics should I do? And I tell them, it's like, what are you called to do? What do you have access to? What do you feel is right for you? They're, they all have, they can all take you on incredible places, especially with a, with a, a well-versed facilitator. Um, what do you feel drawn to? But I, I wouldn't tell anybody, oh, you should definitely do psilocybin before you do LSD or vice versa. It's go with what you think um, and, and you'll be fine. So I just want to like, frankly, you know, I, I guess I, I try to come into these conversations without a dog in the fight or, you know, non, <laughs> non-biased, but on this one, I'll, 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 I'll own, like, I'm, I think it's ridiculous uh, that for the, go- I mean, I think there's some just massive hypocrisy at the legislative level that like this stuff you can't do, but like you can go drink 47 beers and your car will still start. I mean, there's, you know, there's some stuff out there. But I'm curious. So, like, first of all, this is like great, great, uh, great on the FDA. Like, this feels like progress. 
that they're yeah it is progress yeah i mean i'm used to watching documentaries about you know the oxycontin fiasco mm-hmm. and boo on the fda but like they're actually this is pretty cool what i mean you've done so much research in this space like like what it, what do you feel like is shifted I think I think actually Michael Pollan's book was that big of a eye opener for society. I think his it just and I, I think that happened. I think people there hasn't been a shift in mental health in in this country since the creation of the antidepressant over fifty years ago, and we know antidepressants work on maybe forty percent of the population, and we know that the side effects are tremendous. I mean, some of these antidepressants have seventy three percent sexual dysfunction. It's a big it's a big price tag. And they were never meant to be a decades-long solution. So right. I think people are fed up with this medical sedation model, and they want something. They want to get to the root of of what's happening. What's happening to them? How do they become a more fulfilled person, a more alive person? How do they remember who they are? And these psychedelics can get them there. What's beautiful right now is you can do it in the medical model. And yay FDA and yay uh, Maps is doing all this work. It's spent I don't know 140 million dollars to re-legalize MDMA. It's a huge number to get a drug back to market. And yay Johns Hopkins and Yale and University of uh, uh, San California San Francisco. All these different schools. And meanwhile, we also have the decrim nature movement out there, and they're going around city after city and saying no adult should tell another adult that they can't put nature in their body. And let's just decriminalize this. And it's not fair. If you, if the medical model, when it's not covered by insurance, are only for the affluent then who can do this. You've got to decrim at the same time so people who can't afford that medical model can have access to the healing that this provides. And I think that's a really powerful service. And that message is not in conflict with the medical model. They need to be hand in hand. And then the third thing that's happening is this religious freedom. There are almost 200 or over 200 psychedelic churches in America right now. And they're saying, we are a country founded on religious freedom. We have it protected at the federal level. And many of our states have those protections in their constitutions. Psychedelics have been used as a sacred medicine for thousands of years by every type of all of us, all of our ancestors. And we have the right to practice our religion um, peacefully in this country. And we are... It's complicated because right now it's a DEA process and there's questions why well, they don't have the authority to determine whether a church is legal or non-legal. And, and they've, it's the few churches, uh, the, the two uh, ayahuasca churches and the, and the Native American church had to sue and sue and sue to get exemptions. But most of the other churches are saying, no, we're not going to do that. We're not going to go through that process. We're going to practice peacefully and legally. And if you think we're doing something wrong, then come come tell us and it's i think that's beautiful work and it's another way for people to access the medicine who who don't want to have a diagnosis or don't or or, or don't need it to be therapy mm-hmm. so i have two questions in mind i'll start with the first which is you know we didn't actually talk about cannabis is cannabis considered a psychedelic and in, in what if so in what way is it like these others and and also different perhaps yeah i mean there's some groups that say put it into the same category and there's others that say not. I think cannabis is tricky these days. Um, I think what's tricky right now is the the way cannabis is farmed. They are farming more and more for what's called increased THC and decreased CBD. And so in the old days in the 60s and 70s, you had to really balanced the THC and the CBD. And cannabis was a really peaceful drug. 
Now there are many strains, not all by any stretch, but there are many strains where the THC is so much higher than CBD that we're seeing kids and people for the first time having psychotic breaks on cannabis. We're seeing violence with cannabis. Mm-hmm. And um, and people don't understand enough about the, that there is a radical difference between one strain and another. So I think with all of these medicines, and we didn't, we didn't do this disclaimer up front, but there's certainly different people who have different mental health backgrounds that make them not a good candidate for cannabis or any psychedelic. There are people who are taking different prescriptions that are contraindicated. Um, there are people taking different supplements that are contraindicated. And these are things that people should be really think thinking about. These are powerful, powerful medicines. And I just want to take one more place. You brought up alcohol. There's a study out of Imperial College, uh, Dr. David Nutt, where he said, let's forget how drugs are classified. Let's just look at the harm to self and the harm to others and re-rank the drugs. On the far left of his of his uh of his chart is alcohol. It's a 73. For perspective, heroin is a 55. Mm. The far right-hand side are mushrooms. It's a six. LSD is a seven. MDMA is a nine. So yes, you can overdose on Tylenol. You you need to be careful with all of these. And relatively, these named psychedelics are, um, are not addictive and relatively reduced risk compared to other drugs that are perfectly legal like tobacco and alcohol. Yeah. And it's, I mean, you could, even if heroin was non-addictive and you're like, yo man, you gotta, you gotta try heroin one time. I've never done heroin, but I, I, it's, I don't imagine that a year later I would be like, oh dude, my life totally pivoted in a really positive direction. That one time I did heroin, like you're not getting that, but, but that you do get that, like do it. So there's people, like you said, do a psychedelic one time life goes in a different, you know, often very wonderful direction. So yeah, again, why I'm such a proponent uh, of the, I'm not a proponent that people should use it. I don't know enough about it. I'm a proponent that people should have the right for sure. And Yeah. And I talk, my book's called Psychedelics for Everyone. I don't mean everyone should take a psychedelic, but I do hope that people read this book and that they decide whether it's right for them, whether a psychedelic might be right for someone they love, or whether they just need to change the way they vote in the next election because they're more informed. There's 50 years mm-hmm. of programming. It's a lot of programming. I mean, I, I, I grew up in the just say no era. I, I believe that my brain, the frying pan and the egg and right. all bad things are going to happen. That's a lot to unwind. We have knee-jerk reactions to what the media fed us, what our teachers fed us, what our parents fed us. It's a lot to unpack and we need yeah. to get information out there so people can make better decisions and talk openly about mental health and talk openly about drug use and help when caffeine's a drug and alcohol is a drug and all of these are drugs. So it's not that we're anti-drug, it's which drugs right. and how do we use them? So if we go back to, I mean, you had, let's call it, and I don't want to put a label on it, but I mean, would you say that your foray into the world of psychedelics represented some sort of an awakening for you? Is that a reasonable term? 100%. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. So in that space of that awakening, you clearly decided, hey, I, and again, I don't want to put words to it. So these are questions, right? But di- is it is it sa- fair to say that you decide, hey, I want my my professional life moving forward to have some sort of richer or additional meaning and purpose relative to, let's say, before I was an entrepreneur, but like it was not as maybe meaningful as where I want to take my life. Is that yeah? True-ish? You know what it was, Jeff? It's it's a mind. Sh- it's a, here's the switch. The switch goes like this. In the way I was brought up. It was a scarcity-based culture. The messages from my parents were, you've got to work hard. You've got to protect your stuff. You've got to 
outrun the other guy. There's there you have to really save and think and and um, there's just not enough for everyone. That's the culture that I think we I think most of us grow up in. Psychedelics are like no, I don't think that's true. I think there is plenty for everyone out there. There is beauty everywhere. We don't have to pay a subscription to have someone manufactured on a TV when we really can take in a more aware walk in nature and see all sorts of beauty. And um, and I'm going to be, I am okay, and I'm always going to be okay. Um, it doesn't take that many calories just to keep alive. The shelter that I need is not that great. Um, and I can live with or without what I have. That realization is a game changer in terms of uh, how you pursue pursue business. Um, it changes all, all sorts of things. It changes the conversations you have. It changes why you're doing the work. Okay, right now I'm doing work because I'm gathering resources for my family. Right now I'm doing work because we're, I want to have more of these discussions. I want to connect with people at a real level. I want to share what I'm learning and I want to learn what you're learning. Uh, my healing is your healing. Your healing is my healing. All of that kind of stuff. Um, but it does take... so that, Again, the old entrepreneurs, you need to, you need to, until you sell enough, until you have what, FU money, you haven't, you, you haven't made it. Well, I'm saying you kind of have FU money now. Most people, most people, you have it. You just don't know you have it because we've been told we don't have enough. Um, we, we are so worried about saving money for that potential you at 90 who needs to go into assisted living, whatever, that we don't live now when our bodies are most capable of living. Um, and it's just, it's backwards. It doesn't work. It's that, uh, it's that knowing that we're fine now. So I'm curious. I mean, you have a lot of these conversations. I assume they don't all go as smoothly as this one. Like you, <laughs> you, you do run into dogmatic opposition. Like what's the, like, like help, like steel man, the opposition here. Like what's, what's the anti-narrative here? Because yeah, I guess that I'll just start there. What's what yeah. like what do what do these people have to say against all this? I think you have some anti-narrative. I, I think again, the anti-narrative is based in scarcity. So some of that anti-narrative is so well, you don't understand. My fill in the blank got addicted to fill in the blank and is having an awful life. Okay, I hear that. I do. And and these drugs are called drugs and that's called drugs, and it's the same. Mm, no, I don't. I, I, I'm sorry that you have you're having this experience, and it sounds like a hard experience, but it's a different experience. What your person was doing was different. How they were doing it was different. What they were doing was different. It's just a different experience. So I, I hear people who are who are um, who are scared of addiction. I hear people who are um, scared. Can, 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 yeah, can yeah, I interject? Yeah, but absolutely. like as a as a as a as an empirical fact. These are non-addictive substances, right? The vast majority. We can we can say, hey, ketamine has shown addictive potential in animals and in recreational use. We can say MDMA is, has shown, again, some behavioral addiction. Cannabis has shown some um, behavioral addiction. But physiologically, these are non-addictive substances for the most part. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. So it's, again, it's just being misinformed. Um, so that's on that side. On the spiritual side, there are people from the major religions, right? Well, you, this is cheating. You're not supposed to use, you don't need to use a medicine to have a direct religious experience. And they're right. You don't need to do any of this. You can get to a non-ordinary state of consciousness through meditation. You can get there through breath work. You can get there through exercise. So let's take need out of the out of the discussion. 
The question is, for many of us who feel abandoned from our churches, who are tired of the moral preaching, who haven't had a direct religious experience or want to deepen our religious experience, is this a viable route to go to get there? And I believe the answer is absolutely yes. And there's lots of, there's there's books out there and almost, you pick the religion and there's that religion and psychedelics book out there. Um, there's, again, this is with thousands and thousands of years of history, it's hard to argue that um, that most of the world's religions, at least the core teaching of it, wasn't shaped in some part by something psychedelic. Um, then we get into what then happened when the scarcity mindset took over and rules started getting into place and I, I need to protect my turf or protect my church or protect my whatever. Um, but that's different than the core teachings of love your love your brother and sister. Um, you, you don't need to have anything to get into the kingdom of heaven. You have it already. You are wise, you are loved, you are beautiful. All those core messages that, again, you feel them, many people feel them with, with the help of a psychedelic. And, and let me just take one more thing and I'll stop. I don't believe psychedelics are cures for anything. It's not just a biochemical reaction. Um, they are catalysts. They're catalysts for uh, awakening, for awareness, whatever term you want to use. But then the work, the hard work is following the psychedelic. Okay, I had this insight. Now, what do I do with it? How does it change the way I have conversations? How does it change the way I interact with my family? How does it change the way I interact with my enemies? How does it change the way I look at the world? Um, and that is an ongoing process. So these the, the moments of psychedelics are few and far between. The work is all that integration that happens after. Hey there, real quick. I just wanted to let you know, I have been concentrating a lot lately on providing tons of value to my text message community. This could be random thoughts. This could be letting you be the first to know about an event I'm planning or a special I'm running or a free training I'm hosting. Anyway, just shoot me a text to get subscribed. The number is 702-996-3926. Thanks so much. Let's get back to the podcast. So you describe two types of opposition. You have the one that's basically just misinformation. It's opposition on the basis of misinformation, right? They're looking at MDMA and they're looking at cocaine and or thinking, heroin. well, yeah. they're both drugs. Therefore, they must both have these properties when they just simply don't. So, you know, I, I would say that is not legitimate opposition in the sense that it's not based on legitimate rationale. Maybe that's, maybe I need some psychedelics to not be so dogmatic and binary, but you know, whatever. Uh, and then you have opposition that's based on, as you described it, kind of like a spiritual morality, like a, a, a morality. You got to yeah. work hard. You're not working hard enough if you cheat and take a medicine. Yeah. And so the, to me, the religious freedom argument invalidates an argument against psychedelics on the basis of religious or spiritual belief or conviction. Like, okay, great. That, that is great for you. But if you want to be free to have that belief, I should be free to have my belief about how I get my belief, right? Like, so, <laughs> so again, I'm like, I, that one doesn't sound super legitimate to me either. Go Are back there to that any... first one for a second. Okay. It's super like what I get a lot. Okay, I'm sober. I, I am. Uh, I'm in a period. I'm in a sobriety thing, mm -hmm. a twelve step program for whatever for alcohol for. And should I take a psychedelic? Should again is the wrong word. Could. Why would you want to take a psychedelic? Well, I want to deepen my practice. I want to, great, 
then sounds like you have your answer. What's wild though is, is I have there are people then who have um, alcohol dependencies, and for them it's like, well, isn't taking a drug to get off of the drug? How does that make sense? And what I'm telling you is like, there's a reason why Bill W, who founded Alcoholics Anonymous, wanted LSD to be part of the protocol for Alcoholics Anonymous, mm. is because step number one is to give yourself over to a higher power. And for many of us, we don't have any modeling in our lives on how to do that. We have church, which is miserable, or synagogue, which was which was boring, and we have we don't have parents who are particularly religious. We don't have any models. So with this, with a LSD psilocybin, you pick your flavor. You can give yourself, you can have that that experience, which then makes it easier to move forward on a 12-step program, regardless of whether that's for alcohol or smoking or sex or whatever. And that's really interesting. But it is, it, I, I, I can understand, I'm having this issue and now I'm going to put another drug in my body. Yeah, once. You are. Mm-hmm. And it can make a big difference. So, yeah, I mean, that's that's... Again, I mean, this is—it's almost like all semantics, right? Well, it's just like if you if you arbitrarily class these as this is a drug and this is not, and then say like all drugs are this, therefore don't use one of these to wean off another of these. I mean, like you've just created that entire argument on the basis of the words you attach to things, right? So it again yes. doesn't—is is there any legitimate like is there anything out there any of these oppositional threads where you're like okay? That one I really, really need to kind of work to overcome because they have a really good point and therefore I should modify or be impacted by that point, you know, to modify my point. Yeah, I'll give or is you it all one. just mm-hmm. is it all just like people that are confused basically? No, I think I think here's a good one. Um, in the old days, thousands of years ago, there was just healer and the healer was both the medical healer and the spiritual healer. As Western society has developed, we have really piecemealed those into two roles. Doctors are pure science and priests are pure spirit. And psychedelics dances in both worlds. And I can understand the argument, well, if you give the drugs to the spiritual people, they don't have the knowledge, the latest knowledge of my brain and my body to keep me safe. I think that's a fair argument. And conversely, if you give the psychedelics to the medical people, you can say they don't have the knowledge of the spiritual world and how these drugs impact that to keep me safe. Um, so I believe there's a reconciliation that is needed between these two worlds. I do think people operating psychedelic churches, creating ceremonies need to or would be well served to, to, to use medical best practices, to have a strong medical intake, to um, have medical professionals review those intakes, to have an informed consent process, um, to have strong preparation and integration practices, and they can learn from the medical community. And I think the medical community can look at the spiritual community and say, oh, wait a minute, you do this in groups versus individuals? Yeah, why? Show me how you do that. And now all of a sudden, the medical professional's ability to, to earn more per hour has gone up. The medical professional's ability to charge less per patient has increased, which increases access. Um, but to do all of this, we need to get this above the ground. We need the churches and the medical practices to be able to practice openly and to share information. Um, so it's a good argument that shouldn't be in just the spirits or it shouldn't be in just the uh, doctors. But um, but there's also a path forward with let's bring it up above, not not have it underground anymore. Well, I 
I actually really, I, I agree that 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 one feels like, again, one of the reasons it is reconcilable is because it is actually so grounded in reality that like, okay, it's a real issue. Therefore, there's a real way forward as opposed to it's a, it's a, mm -hmm. a, a created issue. Therefore, I can never, we're not even like speaking the same language to try to solve it. Right. So that one, I'm totally with you. Um, and, and not, I would say that is, that ties in with a very consistent theme in my life, which is that, you know, uh, is there sort of like a reductionist tendency in the educational system in the educational process? Again, as we move in the era of specialization, like you said, there's sort of a deep or a fragmentation of truth, which is how you end up with universities producing so much insanity in so many areas in, in a lot of ways. Um, but I mean, you know, witness that again, not, not only doctors are not versed in psychedelics, they're also not versed in like, you know, the food we eat. Like, come on. It gets right. It gets it becomes a pretty big unraveling because we we treat doctors like the high priests of our society. We are taught very early to hand over our agency. You have a you have a MD behind your name or a PhD, you are all knowing. And I think it's it's a surprise to a lot of people. It's like, oh wait, they only know a lot about a little area. And mm -hmm. um and they might and they don't know me. And yeah, that's they where yeah. And they have a chart on their wall that tells me I should eat bread and cereal 11 times a day. Like, come on. <laughs> uh, okay. So anyway, so yeah, I, but I actually love that. Is there any, is that, is that notion getting any traction? Are there any medical schools that are, I mean, you mentioned Johns Hopkins, that's a huge medical school. Like, are they starting to teach this stuff? Yeah. I mean, John, I mean, Johns Hopkins, I think is really doing a nice job at looking at the, at the mystical experience and trying to see, um, to, to recognize and quantify the fact that people are having these transformational experiences and then also looking at what are the best practices to deliver them, not being so clinical, being more comfortable. How do we do this? Um, I think we're seeing, I mean, there's two different associations now with the psychedelic churches and they're both trying to get their members to adopt best practices and see what's happening on the medical side. And then I do think we're seeing more and more conversations between the groups. And there's a psychedelic science conference in Denver in June 13,000 people were there and there's an academic track and a business track and a spiritual track and all those people mixed and mingled. So I, I think there's traction all over. I think there's, we're, we're, we're seeing people operating better and we're seeing less of the, this is the funny part, I think for the consumer. And I'll use legal ketamine as the example. You can go to a ketamine clinic near you and they're going to hook you up to an IV and take your vitals and give you ketamine and send you on your way. And they're going to charge you I don't know, $600,000. And you can go to a different ketamine clinic and they're going to do preparation and intention setting and put you into a living room with a weighted blanket and give you that medicine. And then they're going to work with you afterwards and unpacking what's happened to you. Probably $600 or $1,000. People don't know what to ask for. And there's different philosophies of, uh, mm. of it, the, the one group believes it's purely biochemical. And the other group, group saying, no, it's biochemical, psychosocial, spiritual, it's all of it. So consumers have to educate themselves, whether they're thinking about this in the medical path or the underground path or the psychedelic tourism path. They've got to ask the questions. What do you know? What is your experience? What is your philosophy? How are you going to take care of me? What are you going to do before? What are you going to do after? And then make the decision that's right for them. So, I mean, obviously, is it is it fair to say at this point you so at least professionally you've devoted your 
your energy to this particular cause? Absolutely. Like you're not writing like seven other books on seven other things. No, this is this yeah. is all I'm focused on these days is, is how do I help people experience this in as safe a container as possible. And you've chosen that why in your words? Because I want it for me. Um, I want to be able to go to ceremonies. I want to connect with other people. Um, I want to have this direct religious experience from time to time. And I think it is everybody's right to be able to have this experience. Um, and if I can, I think I'm a unique bridge. I think I've, I'm, I'm, I'm in a, such an incredibly privileged place of existence that I can spend this much time thinking about it and I can synthesize these different learnings and try to put them into the, again, the safest container that I can think of, but then also, um, yeah, help again, just help people find, find the container to do their own work. I don't do any of the work for anybody. I can just help them find the right. container where they can do their work. Is it, I mean, is it fair to say you feel like of all the causes you could devote yourself to, this one has as much potential to positively impact the world en masse as anything you could work on? This, this totally goes back to how we started this conversation. What else? Have, do you know that you can say, what's the most significant thing that's happened in mm -hmm. your life? I took a little bit of this natural, I took a little bit of this molecule and it changed my life. That's incredible. Um, and how do you help people to find the ability to do that as reduced risk as possible? Seems like a very worthy thing to spend energy on. And what do you... What's your vision? I'm curious, and it may, you know whether it's in your lifetime or not. When this becomes, and, and it feels like it's actually a reversion back to a place of acceptance, you know, a la 2,000 years ago, where this is commonplace, it's widespread, it's part of, you know, the physical and the spiritual modalities for for growth. Like, what how, what do you see being different in the world if and when we reach that point? I think we as a species need to decide if we're going to continue on and that we are and see us connected to these these things that we're destroying in the earth and to each other and to recognize that while I might not pull the trigger, this is a violent society in which I'm I'm paying taxes to and contributing to. Um, I mean, our kids are, are dealing with shooting drills. In schools, we know we have nuclear weapons pointed at us. Of course, we ha and we have this culture where you need to work more and more. You can never unplug. You can never get away from the email, the social media. Um, I think if we don't start looking internally to find solutions, and I'll, I'll tell you one more thing, just because I, I have two kids. So much of what I'm hearing today in our culture is about looking outward. You need to keep me safe. You need to address me differently. You need to do this, that, or the other thing so I'm not triggered. And I understand where that's coming from and I appreciate it. And I'm very concerned on that. Um, it's like saying, I don't feel well, so I'm going to go to the doctor and I'm going to get a prescription for you. The arrow's in the wrong direction. We need to start changing and talking about how do I perceive what's being said to me? How do I respond to this? How do I know who I am? Um, and it's a different way of looking. And I believe that um, I believe that psychedelics are a tool that's going to be instrumental in changing the way we look at ourselves. And once we start looking at ourselves differently, that's going to change the way we look at others and the way we look at nature. So I see, I see nothing but beauty ahead 
because I do believe these things are going to happen. I have this vision that I haven't, I've, I've only shared it with my wife and I'm trying to think if I've actually shared it with anybody else, but this seems uh, apropos. There's all this, you know, the war in Ukraine stuff. I'm like thinking to myself, is there any way the CIA could jo just go get a big dose of psychedelics into Putin? Like, I don't think yep. he'd want to, I, I, mean, I, I envision, I mean, I'm curious, like that sounds silly, but like, it's almost like I picture him being like, you know, what am I fighting for? I, I just want to, I go, I hug Ukraine. I hug you everybody. Like, I'm big bear. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I love that. But I mean, um, I mean, is that, you know, metaphorically the type of transformation you see possible in this world with this of medicine? Of course. I mean, all, of course. And we can look at a Putin, we can look at a Trump, we can look at a Biden, but we can look at all of us who are kind of overachievers. Mm. And um, where did that come from? Where did that drive come from? A lot, for a lot of us, it's because I was trying to, for me, I was speak of me. I wanted affection from my parents. I wanted to make sure they loved me. And I was afraid that if I, at some level, I was afraid that if I don't perform, my my love from them is at risk. Um, when we take that fear away from how we operate, you can still get a lot of things done and do beautiful work, but it changes kind of how you do it. It changes the stress that goes along with it. It changes the the way it feels. Mm -hmm. um, and yeah, I'd love to, and, and world leaders are no different than, CEOs and we all have our stuff and our childhood things that we're carrying forward that these medicines can help unpack. And for many of us, the last thing I'll say on this is we feel we're fine. I don't need a therapist. I'm fine. Look at how good I am. Look at how much money I made. Look at how big my company is. Look at how big my uh, my my congressional district is. But at some level, we know that's not true. And um, and this is a way to approach those that reality that where where people might not be willing to do 10 years of therapy, but yeah, I might do a day and try this thing and see what happens. Yeah, man, I'm, I'm thinking about, you're, you're so right in the way is my, in my platform, uh, Entra, we have these, these events and uh, my wife and I hosted a, an event and then there's these other events and there's all these people coming in and you can, you can just feel that people, people's barometer for okayness is their relative level of financial security. Like, I mean, full stop. For full most stop. People. Yeah. And it is, what that means is that, in a, in a, let's say inflation, the in, that what that means is that you give to macroeconomic forces the ability to make you systematically less and less okay over time based on the change of buying power of a currency. Like, that's like, that's sad. We're all getting less okay over time because of inflation, because we've attached our okayness to the buying power of our net worth. And what does uh, that mean to use to, to reference Thomas Paine's agrarian justice? What does it mean for this next generation coming up when everything of value is spoken for? When they look at these houses that they can say, oh, it was only $200,000 a few years ago, now it's a million. How am I ever going to be able to afford that? I can't play in this game. These games don't, this this whole game doesn't work. I need a new game. I need a tiny home. I need a different community. I need a mo a van life. I need a, mm -hmm. I need something else. I, I, and I'm on all these different drugs because my parents were trying to do the best that they knew how to do to normalize me and make sure I would be as, as productive in school as possible. But now I have these other drugs that don't play well with 
other things and how do I deal yeah. with that? And it's a lot to unpack and it's all possible, but it takes, it takes work at the individual level to get there. When you were talking about this external orientation, uh, mm -hmm. I was thinking of, of something our, my wife and I's therapist always tells us dependency breeds hostility, right? Like one of the reasons, I think that external orientation of I need the government, I need the community, I need the church, I need the parents, I need the what, the school, the job, the whatever to make me okay or to make me feel better is actually the essence of why there's so much anger boiling in society right now. Because we gave uh, up our control. It's, it's, it's awful. So all of a sudden I'm the victim and I have no control over my happiness over my belief in myself because I'm waiting for someone else to tell me it's okay. Now you have enough. Now you are loved. And it never happens. You just, the goalpost keeps moving. I'm strongly suggesting we take that back. I'm in charge of everything in my existence, period. I'm responsible for 100% for everything. And because of that, I am responsible. I know I'm responsible for my happiness and I'm going to be happy and I'm going to be well, and I'm going to treat myself with the love that I deserve. And I'm not going to wait for you or my partner or my boss or my parents to, to give me some version of love that I think I need. I'm going to do it for myself. That feels like a moment, <laughs> a moment right there. Um, Matt, this has been such a, this has been exactly the conversation I was hoping for. It's like very, mm. uh, very informed, very erudite, very r rational, um, but also very inspiring uh, or and also very inspiring. Those are not mm. contradictory forces. Uh, thank you so much for being a guest here. Can you please share with the audience? Obviously, you have your book, Psychedelics for Everyone. Uh, anything else you have to offer you'd like to invite the audience into? Yeah, my, my site is mattzeman.com. I have a free guide to microdosing for people who are looking to kind of tiptoe their way into this. Um, there's also a way to get in touch with me. And I do kind of discovery calls with people who are interested in what psychedelics might might mean for them and and just different ways to think about access through medical decrim religious so i'm happy for people to go onto my site go uh fill out the form and i'll respond and we'll set up a free call and we'll we'll talk and that's it i've, I've got really nothing to sell other than that information and that i'm happy to give so uh uh, and then I have my books, uh, Psychedelics for Everyone, that's on Audible and everywhere books are sold. And then I have a preparation integration journal that's also out there for people who are doing the path and want to have some uh, some prompts and things to help them before and after their psychedelic journeys. So cool. Amazing, amazing work. Thanks for what you're doing in the world. Jeff, thank you. I appreciate it. you certainly are reaching a lot of people with your with your school. And, and I think all of us uh, entrepreneurs out there are grateful for what you're doing, trying to help us unlock our our, our true potential. Thank you, man. I appreciate that. And of course, to all the viewers and listeners out there, you are the best part of the show. You're why I do what I do every single day. So glad we got to spend this time together. Until next time. Hey, it's Jeff here. If you liked this episode of Unlock Your Potential, it would mean so much if you would like and share the episode on whatever platform you're listening or viewing on. And if you really like what we're doing here and you enjoy this podcast, please consider leaving a review. There is so much work that goes into these episodes and you leaving a positive review lets us know that that work is reaching people and especially it helps us reach other people. Your review could be the reason that someone else decides to tune in, check out this podcast and unlock their potential 
and ultimately level up the quality of their life. So thank you, thank you, thank you so much for your support and for listening, especially if you like or share or leave a review. Thank you for helping us spread the word and thank you for unlocking your potential to go make the world and your world a better place.